0: While discussions about diversity, equity and inclusion have become pervasive and even fashionable across the United States in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, there's still sometimes not enough attention paid to the psychological toll that issues such as systemic bias and racism have on black workers and black communities. We'll talk with a social personality psychologist regarding his research and focus on issues in the black community on this episode of the psych health and safety usa podcast from flourish dx this is the psych health and safety usa podcast safety at work is more than freedom from physical injury to be safe you have to feel safe join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the usa Welcome to this week's Psych, Health, and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, as well as advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. As an occupational health and safety professional who just happens to be Black, uh, I find myself and have found myself in several gatherings, particularly over the last few years or so, giving my thoughts about diversity, equity, and inclusion and safety and how they connect. Um, Also had opportunity to do some research as a part of my dissertation, and it was focused on the lived experience of Black workers' exposure to psychosocial hazards in the workplace. But I'll be honest, the literature review is a little challenging on that because A, there are not a lot of uh, members of the African diaspora who've taken up occupational safety and health as an occupation. Uh, There are very few studies written about the safety environment for, for Black people at work because unfortunately in the United States, for a good number of centuries, Uh, Black people were barely considered human, and in some cases not at all, and certainly the safety of Black people has really has not been an issue for many. Uh, That's not to say that things haven't gotten better, but that's the foundation that we rest on in terms of the workplace. And so recently I was, you know, I I try to get out and learn as much as I can. I was in this session and and I heard this gentleman speak and I go like, I got to talk to him. (laughs) Uh, I so just, I just have to talk to you because I, 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 I enjoy people who have this, who have a depth of understanding of a topic and talk about it in really direct kinds of ways and not kind of sugarcoat, just kind of get to it because it is what it is. And so my guest today, again, who, who I've not met before, uh, and we've not really had a conversation. So uh, our audience, you're going to be hearing you know, us get to you know, know something about each other. But uh, I, I'm just really impressed. So Dr. Yasser Payne is an associate professor at the University of Delaware. And uh, I, before I get into, uh, you know, all of his, uh, his long list of accomplishments and that type of thing, what I do for folks when they come on the podcast, Dr. Kay, Dr. Payne, is I have people introduce himself because, I, you know, I, I, I could say a bunch of stuff. But I, I start off with this question. And the question to you is, so who is Yasser Payne?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. That's something I'm continuing to think about. Um, and that answer sometimes evolves and changes. But nonetheless, I am happy Dr. Daniels will be with you today to share with you um, my story, but also the journey of our um, research program that I think you know has done some real good work, good work and um particularly in Wilmington, Delaware and beyond. You know, um, but really quickly, my name is Yassa Arafat Payne. I'm um, originally born in Harlem, New York City, youngest of four brothers. Um, I'm now in Newark, live in Newark, Delaware, and I'm a professor at the University of Delaware. Um, but you know, had three older brothers, I had um, parents. Um, I think all of them really modeled for me how to remain committed to Black people, Black community, Black culture, um, particularly that part of the Black community. Um, My father was a bodyguard for Malcolm X. Uh, My parents and my older brothers um, did a lot of neighborhood programming. I didn't use that language back then, but a lot of Christmas parties and social gatherings, particularly for people who did not have. And every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every New Year's Eve, every Easter, my family provided, you know, all kinds of stuff um, to the people. Um, And that really left a, an indelible impression on me um, is at the center of my work. Um, I now have a PhD in social psychology. Um, I am a full professor um, of sociology in the Department of Sociology and Criminal Justice at the University of Delaware. I am a street ethnographer, so I'm the guy who studies street culture, um, particularly amongst those folk that we may refer to as gang members or you know, folk who may commit armed robbery or you know, who may be involved with gun violence, you know, but that particular population, we do a lot of work with that community. And we do it in a way or through a mechanism or method called street participatory action research. We created that method. We didn't create PAR, but we created the PAR iteration, you know, that we call street par. Um, it's the way that we do street ethnography. Um, so really quickly, um, par researchers and street par researchers, we hire folk that were interested in studying. In my case, street-identified Black men and women, boys and girls who may be involved in street culture, um, employ them to be research activists effectively or essentially on the research project. Research is a multibillion-dollar process just for poor Black communities alone each year for research institutions wow. and universities. Um, lots and lots of support flowing for research so our thing is let's get them involved research is very important it's the way that we control and dominate narratives and establish epistemology etc so let's get them involved with reading writing learning about theory method analysis publishing in journals and book chapters and taking them to academic conferences arming them with this skill set to tell their story story they already know they just need the skill set to really turn it over um in the ways that are commodifiable and ways that establish power, street part of the socio political project um, as well. Um, but nonetheless, we've trained, we train, we train, cohort in, cohort out. Um, we work on different projects in and out of Wilmington. Um, and that's the kind of work that we do. That's
0: Joss. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so, so. Tell me, when you hear the phrase psychological health and safety, what is that? What do you think of when you hear that? Um,
1: so I guess a few thoughts come to mind. I mean, I think psychological health and safety is good language, but in some respects, it's um, not alarming enough. Um, it's very neutral sounding. Um, you know, there's an element of it that doesn't, you know, And we need to start calling things for what there is, as you know, particularly in poor black communities, a lot of us. um, I will say there are, you know, because we've been we've been testing in Project In and Project Out, particularly the street identified populations. We collect thousands of surveys by now, um, hundreds of interviews by now. Um, But we we've learned that uh, 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 we've you know, we've been our data strongly suggests that we think about their psychology, particularly psychology of the streets. Um, and or their mental health in at least two different ways. A, they 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 generally demonstrate um, um, high levels of 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 general well being, right? Um, they don't actually demonstrate low levels, let's say, of uh, low uh, of esteem, or they don't have a negative self. You cannot find that in. And we're one of the only research programs that's that's actually testing that and or able to get them in large enough number uh, 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 to test to test the idea of well-being and or what that means, because there are different forms of well-being. But in general, they demonstrate strong or high levels of, of, um, particularly, and those guys in gangs, in street culture, running around with guns, those guys, and women, boys and girls, because we do it across age um, and neighborhood, high levels of uh, well-being, particularly family, social, and community levels of well-being, also personal levels of esteem. We actually do not find low levels of, of, you know, um, self-defeating attitudes, you know, we find high levels of self-determination, high levels of esteem, commitment to family, community, right, while, but it's concurrent. They are also, right, experiencing and participating concurrently in um, a number of, quote unquote, troubling behaviors, let's say, you know, and, and another way of thinking about it right so how does the crack cocaine dealer love themselves their community and their family, and the answer is they do and they really do. Um, a, lot, a lot of their well being is actually tied to the concept of family and or and or and or their activities and experiences in the street it's all interconnected Interestingly enough. Um, but they do, right? And their problem, more so, is largely structural violence. I will say before we're getting into conversation on that, um, it's important, even though they have high levels of well-being, um, more generally, right? They can dip in like skills-based esteem, like, like, like academic esteem,
0: sure,
1: or kind of a work-based or skill-based level, sure, or competence or, sure. or, or esteem. Um, I, and I will say a number of them, right or have experienced, some are still experiencing, um, real trauma, real extreme traumas, you know, and or maybe even struggling with PTSD, um, just things that they've saw, heard, experienced themselves um, can, can concurrently affect them. But in general, they do love themselves, their families and their communities. And in fact, low-income populations generally have higher levels across race and ethnicity of well being family, community, social than more middle and upper middle class populations.
0: I, I, I find that very interesting. I really do. And, but as you say it, it, it actually resonates with me to be quite honest. <laughs> it, it, it does. So, uh, so again, as I said, we're, we're, we're just meeting. So I'm the product of one of those families. I mean, we, uh, my mom was a teenager when I was born. She's 14 when I was born. Wow, wow, wow. And uh, I'm the eldest of seven. Wow. And uh, we, uh, matter of fact, we were on public assistance when I graduated high school. And I do have—I uh, lost a brother to uh, to to gun violence uh, who had been incarcerated. So I mean that—that's that. Those are my people. And, and when you, but when you mention the 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 issue regarding esteem and how important family is and that type of thing, that it just resonates because I didn't realize that I was poor until somebody told me I was. I, I didn't realize that I lacked esteem until I got into you know other environments that were built for me in the first place. And then I was told I didn't have esteem because I wasn't presenting myself in, in the way that that system expected me to, yeah. though That's the true. way I did present actually brought value. And That's it took true. me years to figure that out, that actually my voice and the way that I do things has as much value and I'm finding out in some cases even more yes, than than the than the values placed on it by that particular system. Yes, sir. And I and I find often, you know, again, well, I talk a lot about the workplace. That's the challenge that people have in the workplace. First of all, this whole perception that I, as the owner of the business, own these people. I, I, I that's a problem for me, and particularly as a black person, that is some of that, you know quasi or uh, remnants of the, you know, the culture that we used to have, the legalized slavery that we used to have. There are people who actually believe that they own employees That's so. and that they own these human beings. And for and then that, that makes them feel that they can treat these people in any way that they feel and talk to them in any kind of way. And what they bring to, to the table is not important. So I, I'm just really vibing with what you're saying about, you know, uh, either self-described or identified street culture, because I, I, it is, these are human beings that happen to hang out with each other and do some things that some might see objectionable. Some might even classify as illegal, but you know, the reality is a good percentage of what Hitler did was legal and a good percentage <laughs> of what Martin Luther King did was illegal at the time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
1: True. Yeah. Crime is very cultural. Um, you know, the whole concept, like, you know, people particularly in the 16 and 17 and even 1800s, but even beyond that, but definitely there was no concept of um, locking people up for physical assault or homicide back during the 16, 17, 1800s, particularly for long periods of time. Um, The whole concept of a prison, right, locking someone, no one even supported that idea um, during that time period, only by the by the late 1800s and definitely by the early 1900s they learned how to monetize um, a criminal legal system sure industry um, but for so long the churches and everybody would that's not the way that you handle your problems um, you know interestingly enough um, but now that's been turned into an industry that's also racialized i think also what's really important to note when you're talking about guys and women um boys and girls who are involved in the streets. They are oftentimes the product of what we describe as the structural violence um, complex, um, which makes it very different and unique, right? That 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 experience. So you live, we live in a capitalistic economy that requires poverty, right? This is, Ie, critical race theory. Derrick Bell founded critical race theory. Um, black man, um, and spent the last leg of his life in Harlem, New York City, teaching so many of us about how our economy was organized around race with Black Americanists at the bottom, those of the slave holding South, right? Um, those particular Black people were to be the bottom or the foundation of, um, you know, our economy. And or, it was organized around race and ethnicity, right? With us at the bottom and whiteness at the top and everyone else in between, right? But that the economy and the wealth, the value of it comes comes, is accrued as a function of removing us, right? So when you have 10% of Black Americans who own 75% of Black America's wealth, right? 10% of us own 75%, which means they're 90% on 25, right? And then, so now we structure and we situate in eco, an economic outgroup, right? And out of that group disproportionately comes, right? Who we, particularly academics, may describe as street identified. Um, Black men and women, boys and girls, right? Who have been rendered to, you know, the um, the outskirts of society as a way, right? To generate wealth for a ruling elite. Um, all, all of it is connected and always has. So Michelle Alexander, this is her core argument throughout the new Jim Crow, right? That we essentially or effectively live in a racial caste system, her language, not mine. Um, you know, we just changed what that system looks like, oh, we brand it differently, we use different language, right? But, but whether we're talking about slavocracy or the convict lease system or Jim Crow, or we're talking about gentrification or redlining, whether we're talking about mass incarceration. She said, we always figured out good language and we've always drawn upon Black Americans to be the core economic, because the economic system requires it. Our poverty is required, right? Every generation they find a way to structurally undermine us. Right, they take away our institutions, our businesses, they figure out ways to systematically and structurally remove us as a way to acquire wealth, right, can't have both at the same time either, not within this particular economy, right, so we're the out group, we're out, right, those of us who are able to make it to college, I often say to those students and or faculty members, right, uh, the black ones, right, you are not representative of black America, we're not. Right, right. 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 We have been. So with. the So when you place the crime. Right. And keep in mind, less than one percent of all black Americans are responsible for all crime in black America. Most people don't run around and kill each other, shoot each other. most people are not involved, even in the poor neighborhoods. Most people are not involved in selling drugs or killing nobody. They don't know even where to know where to, be to buy the big bags of drugs at. Right. <laughs> right. right? They may know somebody that knows somebody right. right, with this one. To, to 5% of any given city is responsible for all of its violence, right? And keep in mind, they about 17 before our hot year, 2020, 2020 and 2021, um, things are cooling down now. We had roughly 17, 18,000 homicides per year, right? Somewhere between eight, 9,000 of those or thereabout were black men. Most people who die of gun violence are actually white men who kill themselves as a function of suicide. That's True. the vast majority of gun violence. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, not to belittle it, but homicide accounts for less than one percent uh, 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 of the total U.S. population. You're more likely to die from fentanyl,
0: yes, yes. car accident, yes, yes, health
1: related. Yeah,
0: the, num- <laughs> the number, the number, yeah, skyrocketing. Actually, <laughs> the, the the National Safety Council actually has a uh, a place on their website, and you can find out the chances of death for all kinds of things, <laughs> and and you know. Uh, heart attacks and you know cancer are are number one and just kind of go down goes down from there we spend a lot of time talking about other things but not really those things that are going to cause people to actually die this so this this conversation even for folks listening for my audience is probably going to be unique for they're going to go like wow how does that relate to safety because (laughs) what you just talked about so these are the experiences that black people bring into the workplace to begin with, and then on top of that, uh, even those of us who are not representative of the rest of our community have to deal with a whole nother level of, you know of disenfranchisement of you know and, and, and often, you know these systems are smart enough not to take gas or pain and pull them in a corner and, and, and do a blanket party and beat them down physically, but they do it emotionally uh, Isolation and you know the 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 microaggressions and the you know the well we're gonna give you gonna give you tenure later or you know your program's not gonna get funded it's all these little things that had the one thing had had your race been different at least that's been my experience had my race been different a lot of this would have just happened different for me and 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 so I I think and again as I said my kind of opening discussion I, I find myself having lots of discussions about how This whole thing about, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion and and how they affect safety, they they are absolutely integrated because no one is going to stay in a place where they feel marginalized, where they feel put upon, where they don't feel respected, where they don't feel like they bring value. They're not going to stay. And then they're going to find something else to do. The other thing that they do may not bring value to you, but it brings value to them. And some of those folks, I, I, I've always believed that you know folks who who are involved in the what what, what I call the illegal pharmaceutical distribution industry. <laughs> uh, many of them could be anything. They could be they are smarter than many CEOs. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. They, they really are. But what they've not had is the opportunity and the access to the systems that it often ha- has marginalized and pushed them off to the side.
2: Hi, listeners. Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself, and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work, and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get started. That's www.flourishtx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Yes,
1: sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Um, and a lot of our studies, a lot of our publications, right? So again, all of this is connected. A lot of, we look at, you know, our core populations, should identify black men and women, boys and girls um, survey. We triangulate survey, interview data, mixed methods, Um but we've, we've put out a number of, of analysis on their experiences with work and school um, and or how their street identity is connected or correlated with work, their experiences with work and school. Um, we've looked at their experiences as a function of being victimized, right? Um, but we, we, we ultimately understand, right, their experience within this broader or greater context of structural violence. Um, we also know from the literature, there is no better effective intervention to reducing violence or crime more broadly than access to quality opportunity or wealth, particularly in poor Black neighborhoods. Um, everything else pales in comparison to that intervention. That's why with us, to train with us, right, we, uh, uh, we train them in methods and research. We have them reading journal articles and send me whoever it is you think you can't work with neither the shooter, the bat, whatever, whoever you send us the shooters, we'll work with them and Mm -hmm. send back the kings and queens that they already were. We're gonna train them alongside graduate students um, and they're gonna learn, right? We're gonna totally, culturally tailor it, but they are going to be exposed to the same kind of research experience. And this, right, is an intervention, more specifically a paid intervention. Um, Whether students realize it or not, their structural context um, they're being inter- centi- they're, they're being incentivized. It's being supported. They may not re- realize it in the muck, right, reading and writing and, and right, but 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 it's because of their access to wealth and class positioning that they're able to even participate as students. Their basic structural needs are being met, actually. Um, it may not feel like all of that in the moment because they're they're grinding, right. But we have to also create the equivalent structurally, particularly for anyone else that we want to access and use and draw in this kind of information, and data and or opportunity and experience. So that means them too, they have to be paid, right? We have to bring in the necessary set of resources so that they can perform, right? And once, and once all of that is satisfied at a basic level, they do perform, right? So, so it's an intervention, but it's also an intervention that in responds to their structural needs. They are being removed, they are out. That's how we start inside these neighborhoods, right? Also, like right, we recognize we provide case management, access to therapy. I'm a researching psychologist, but I've also worked with psychologists, right? Clinical counseling, um, right? More therapeutic-oriented, right? To to we have a theory called sites of resilience, how a street identity, how all social identities, but a street identity is adaptive, right? All social identities are crafted around access to wealth, whoever you are, professor, mm. whether you are. An athlete or whether you're someone in the streets. Everyone, right? So, so attitudes and behavior are organized by this more amorphous thing called um, um, a social identity, right? That's how humans begin to organize themselves and then into groups and et cetera. Right. But right, so it it, it links everything together, race, ethnicity, all of it, um, into this more organized way of being, right? So for a group, Black Americans, a segment of them, right, the whole group, but a segment of them will begin to now evolve into to or organize, internalize this thing called street life, right? They are being removed. That is their response to what's going on. It's, it's a response to their structural needs, but it's also a response to their mental health mm. and, and the mm. trauma that they, right? Because think about what had to have happened to you to be able to sell crack cocaine. What had to have happened to you to be able to carry around and or be prepared to use, if not use, a Mm. firearm? You have to think about what would have to have happened to you to be able to regularly use crack cocaine or heroin to inject, right? So the average crack cocaine user knows that crack is bad. Hmm. this is how complex the psychology they already know that we can we can bypass that part of the intervention right they know that just like a person that's overweight knows going to mcdonald's is bad <laughs> <laughs> so right right no smoking cigarettes is bad they already know that right same thing with the people in the streets they 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 understand so what occurred what are they struggling with psychically socially familially, right where doing that makes sense wow Right. All behavior is adaptive, including using crack cocaine. Wow. Right. That is psychology 101. No organism can actively organize itself. Right. To supplant or undermine its 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 overall well-being. Even. Right. So there's something adaptive about what's going on out there. Right. And I would submit we would submit, particularly through our research, that the poverty is that extreme. Where, where, where physical injury, where, where incarceration and or death is worth the risk. Really, wow! For, for large segments, particularly of the economic outgroup, right? Physical injury, incarceration and or death for 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 a large segment of our group, right? Not the entire group before a significant segment of our Black Americans, I'm saying, since the slave South, physical injury, incarceration, and or death from their perspective. And that's the only way you can measure or evaluate resilience, esteem, well-being, right? It's because because this is a socio-cultural construct. There's no place you can touch called resilience or esteem at all. Right. So the way that they view it is adequate to the way that the outsider or the researcher or the more upper middle class standing person views the concept of well-being at its core. So, right. So so what is it about their experience and or those experiences around traumatic experiences, trauma, right, that 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 makes involvement in the streets now adaptive for millions? Mm. This isn't a one off. Mm. No place in world history can we find large segments of marginalized people where a smaller segment of that group did not go to the street. Didn't start with Black Americans. Mm. We talk about the Europeans, the Arabs, the African, whatever group you want to think of, historically or now. If you find large segments of them that are marginalized, you will find some group amongst them, right, that are resorting to the streets. So, what we define is that engagement, mm. legal activity of some sort, mm. right? So, 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 so us and the data, right, supports this, the way we would speak to, we need, we need larger, louder fries, particularly amongst more radical progressive black leadership and beyond talking about the racial ethnic wealth gap, mm. about black reparations,
0: mm.
1: about resources, There never was a time in Black America's history where our schools worked. Mm. Ever. Not where, when. You know, I know all the Black folk like to talk, where have they worked at in large numbers? Never was a time where Black America in large numbers had access to uh, quality economic opportunity, jobs, high salaries. Where? There never was a time in American history, going back to the 1600s, I'm saying, you pick the time period or whatever, (laughs) but there never was a time, right, where we um, as a group had access to wealth or as a group nationally had access to political capital as a group. Not talking about one-offs or exceptions or for a small time period or before it all was burnt down. But as a group, standing, sustained, never happened. Most of our experience was 80% of us were enslaved. 80% of us were then impoverished from 1865 to about 1965. Our first Black middle class, which is not the same as white, comes in 1965, 66. First Mm -hmm. stable Black middle class, right? And all that meant was just no more than really over one third of Black America had access to some form or status of, of middle class standing. Right. Uh, maybe we were college educated. I don't know. Maybe we we're working some kind of service job now. Um, you know, in more of a corporate climate. Um, right. But nonetheless, most and most of us still are struggling.
0: Right. 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 Right.
1: So, so <laughs> <laughs> so when I hear these. So the therapy has to come from that perspective. Right. Right. With these guys.
0: When when I hear these discussions in uh, in the media and in other places about, you know, how uh, from an uh, environmental social governance perspective, we want to make sure that we diversify our board of directors and diversify our leadership and bring in Black workers and that, 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 that. So what advice do you have for those people? Now, to be quite honest, I do believe that some of these folks are honest in in their intent I, really are they, I, I believe that many are trying I believe that many are just checking the box but I believe there's some that how do we change this what do we do about it so how do you connect what you just mentioned how do you put it in a way for for those corporate type folks who say look we we're looking for black talent and all that well, how do they how can they get that how can they make that happen so or they can they make
1: that happen? I think both and perspective needs to occur to begin okay. to be, make some level of change. You have an economy that's organized around race, particularly notions of white supremacy, um, right, and, and, and it's predatory at its very base, um, right, um, and you need an economic outgroup. That's the problem. So critical race theory, Derek, race, Derek Bell tried to advance this idea late 80s. I mean it's really around by the this really around earlier than the 70s, but it's established by the late 80s. Um, these are legal scholars and now this idea bleeds into the rest of academia. Um, faces at the bottom of the well, this is New York, is is his um, is is, is a national bestseller, on um, faces the bottom, which comes out in 1992 right? But the field is, is established by 88, 89, right? And they're trying to get out the idea that embedded within the legal, <laughs> within the political, within the structural, social structural systems itself, right? Um, Is this concept of inequality organized around race, right? And, and right, so my point is that level of awareness, right, still needs to get out there. We still need to push that. That's what many in the late sixties and seventies and early eighties were trying to push, particularly in grassroots organization, right? This is the black power movements. This is more progressive elements of the civil rights movement. Right. Um, this is what Huey P. Newton, Dr. Huey P. Newton, right, um, Bobby Seals, right, uh, H. Rap Brown. These, this is really what they were trying to finish a course, this is what they were really talking about. And also the academic giants, right, folk like Dr. John Henry Clark um, in places like Harlem, along with Derrick Bell, right. So, so one of the things we call for in our new book, Murder Town USA, coming out July 2023. A, for more street par projects, what we do, right? Because we're educating at the grassroots level, giving folk language to understand their lived experience. One of the neighborhoods that we're in, Eastside, over 60% of the people, Black folk living there, right, are making less than $15,000 per year, right? You have other neighborhoods within Wilmington, places like Riverside, Eastside, and large numbers of folk in Southbridge neighborhood. You're talking about a level of extreme poverty that many of us are living, right? Because we have Jay-Z on TV, or mm-hmm. athletes someplace, right. Right? or we have a handful of us relatively that have gotten college degrees. Only about somewhere between 17 and 20% of black Americans actually get a college degree. <laughs> so, But, you know, in any event, um, you know, and because we, it's, you know, and Derrick Bell writes about this, the racial symbolism, you know, how ultimately easy it is to distract Black folk from their poverty and or all of us too, and or the group's level of we- lack of wealth, um, how there's right? So my point is that's the first level and we need both in. we do need to get into those boardrooms, so to speak, um, understand it for its relative worth. Um, while simultaneously, I would argue more, more, more aggressively, as we argue in Murder Town USA, the book project, um, that we also argue for a structural violence campaign inside, on the ground, right, inside neighborhoods, right? And we and we, we also argue in that book project, we need to re-adopt what Bell Hooks called for as you know, the utility of the small group, right? So, so many of us wanna be divas and popular, particularly in the social media age, Um, We forgotten what real change is about. And real change really comes from a small group doing the unglorious work, the tedious (laughs) day-to-day, right, organizing it, right, and who may and oftentimes may not get the credit, right, but it's this dedicated small group of folk, right, who remain day in, day out committed. That's generally the change-making and or makers um, and we need to get back to that kind of humility in our activism, right? And we call for that in the book project as well. So I think it's not until we begin to roll our sleeves up. This ain't about getting popular on social media. This is about saving you know, um, black America at its mm-hmm. core. And it begins by educating ourselves on what is happening, having a common language, set of ideas, arguments, frame of reference, framework about the inequality itself, I often say inside the neighborhoods, you are the food that feeds, right? So your pain, your misery, your, your inequality, your poverty is what's fueling the economy. The guys that's running around with the guns are a byproduct of that structural mm. reality. Mm. You want that to stop? Then let's stop this over here. Mm. Let's put more attention around it then. Maybe we can't stop it right now. Let's talk about it. Let's write about it. Let's research about it. Let's program around it because it is illegal and unconstitutional to keep a particular people poor, even if it's in service of greater or broader America. Mm. There you illegally you can't actually do that. Right. So but if we name it enough, study it enough, evaluate it enough, right? Point it out enough, make it real clear, right? Vis-a-vis, uh right, black reparations, right? Now, right, we, we, we eventually over time have an advantage that we have accrued, right? So at the end of the day, it's value added, right? And, and, and coming to these young boys out here who have no place to stay, sleeping in cars and top of roofs, right, couch surfing, right, and tell them to pull their pants up and just do the right thing and get focused, that is unethical. <laughs> I think um, at its best, I think it's highly deceptive. I think it's a lack of leadership, mentorship by Black men, right? And women, okay, but I'm putting them all the men right now, right? I think it reveals a lack of our awareness of the, how the structural dots connect, how it's affected that young man who now is couch surfing, right? I think it also enrages young people to look at our kind of structural density in terms of our awareness of it, of it all. And have and we have no answers for our young people, Mm. none, except Mm. for get it right, do this, do what I. I mean, just, just, just silliness,
0: Mm.
1: right? And as a consequence, right, we've created much more of a gulf between younger and older generation. And we're not going to get their respect, and shouldn't get. I tell them all, don't you don't respect nobody that not not for my generation and older. We (laughs) we have given up on you, and that is the truth. Wow. We don't speak for them, right? We don't, no, 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 no groups, no, no, no people, right? Uh, 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 their morality, their centeredness, their focusness, their core identity is based on what they would sacrifice, all groups, what they would sacrifice for their younger generations. Mm. Their ultimate character is determined by that, the group. And we, and we, you know, my generation and older, by and large, particularly those little bit of us who have a little bit of, uh, of power or influence, right? And you know, all relative to keep that in mind, right? We're willing to sacrifice them.
0: Wow. 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 Well, you are uh, a—you <laughs> certainly didn't know this, but what you're doing is you're, you're doing a great lead up to uh, actually my next episode. Uh, I'll be talking with some uh, a couple of millennials and a couple of general Zers about their perspective on topics. And these happen to be you know, young, up-and-coming, you know, uh, Black students who want to become safety professionals at some point, but, you know, all these conversations we're having about psychological safety and all that, it, it tends to be from a particular lens, that diversity, equity, inclusion, they all are fit to this particular lens, and even within the discussion, when people bring a different voice, people kind of look kind of sideways at, well, hold up, that's not, diver- no, that's exactly what diversity is. It is yeah. about these, diversity is about the differences that people have, and, and respecting, identifying, and valuing those differences, not, well, they look different. I, I found that I am often invited to places because they uh, because I look different, but I get excused from places because I, when I start thinking and sounding different, right. I can look different all I want. But as soon as what comes out of my mouth, based on what I, you know, what's in my heart and what I'm thinking about, when it comes out differently, that's when we start having some problems. That's right. So <laughs> that's what, when, when I actually demand, you know, my, you know, the, the respect that's due to the position that I'm in or, or, or my humanity, when I you know, expect people to treat me in a certain way and, and don't, you know, just kind of put up with being, you know, marginalized. When I, when I would just put up with it now, all of a sudden, even the, the degrees and the position, none of that stuff seems to matter when the voice, when what, the words that come out of your mouth are not what I've heard before, but that's actually what diversity is.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, I mean, yeah. The way that we've co-opted and exploited, and this is a Derrick Bell argument faced at the bottom of the well-founded critical race theory. He t- he coins the language, racial symbolism. I think in that part of the book or chapter, he's describing or talking about the holiday of Martin Luther King Jr. I'm pretty sure he's writing about that. Um, and he's talking about, you know it, he's writing about it from the perspective of its utility. How is it useful to from the powers that be? Um, and then how is it useful, particularly for that marginalized Black American group? Um, you know, and or how is it being weaponized against the marginalized Black American group? Mm-hmm. And, but, but it's a great lesson learned from that discussion, but more, more generally, um, you know, I would say DEI, diversity, inclusion, equity, those kinds of discussions, right, nice buzzwords, um, and many more. Um, that kind of symbolism, oftentimes, which is racial, um, is performative. They want a diversity of looks, of the way of, of, of how it looks, right, vis a vis Black, Brown, Native, um, White, LGBTQ, um, but not a diversity in ideas, yes, um, or perspective, or thought, or approach. Um, that has to be unified. That, you know, um, therein lies a disin you, you know, what, 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 what some nigritude folk would say, would argue, um, Cesar, particularly Caesar, um, Ames, there. Um, the founder of it um that's a disembodied form of universalism you know a western form of universe. With, that means everybody's on you know there's no he's I want my particular he said <laughs> my racial particularities within that unity wow that was a great power that's great powerful thinking there is you know we are we are human beings but there is um um, 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 um particular unique um ethnic experiences that have to be um recognize and 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 so in any event though but 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 within the West within this kind of corporate management of um, language or perspective you see everyone really saying the same thing just from different racial ethnic standpoints.
0: Sure, sure oh boy uh, while I could continue this conversation for quite a while I don't know if folks are gonna hang out with us so <laughs> to 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 bring this to a bit of a conclusion um if folks wanted to learn more about the work that you're doing at the University of Delaware and, and in other spaces around this topic, uh, you know, how, how do they how do they find you, that folks who might be interested in your research? I mean, t- you know, a uh, little bit about, you know, what how they would contact you and kind of what's next, what's next on your,
1: yeah, on your doctor. Yeah, question. Uh, I'm a professor once again, um, professor of sociology in the Department of Sociology, Criminal Justice and Africana Studies at the University of Delaware definitely can check me out there. Um, we have a book project that's coming out July, 2023. Um, we can pre-order a copy now, Rutgers University Press. The name of the book is called Murder Town USA, um, Homicide, Structural Violence and Activism in Wilmington. That's the name of the book. Um, I, along with colleagues, Brooklyn, Dr. Brooklyn Hitchens and also Mr. Darrell Chambers, uh, we authored that piece, Murder Town USA. You can learn a lot about us there. You can check out our website, The People's Report, one word: thepeoplesreport.com. dot com. Hmm. Um, we have um, also trailers to our documentary, The People's Report, that can be ordered as well. Um, which is on which is a documentary on our on the Wilmington Street Par Research Program uh, um, in Wilmington, Delaware, um, and got a lot of good attention around People's Report documentary. We also have a hundred seventy three page report. We have it's a very interactive website, peoplesreport.com. You can also check out. Two TED Talks, one by me, Yasser Payne, called Walk With Me, TEDx Wilmington, and another one by Daryl Chambers, um, TEDx Dover. Um, 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 Both of those really detail and describe what we do and the stories that are connected to them. Um, We got more stuff coming out. We got a national study in four cities, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, New York City, Detroit, that's ongoing now. Um, I'm also, Wilmington, Delaware is a fourth city, everyone getting paid 25 dollars an hour, 20, 30 hours hmm. work per week, research activism in all of these cities, right, on gun violence. Um, so you can check us out on the web with regard to that. I've teamed up with Center for Court Innovations in New York City to work on that national study. Um, I'll stop there, but we have a bunch of projects <laughs> and a bunch of us everywhere wow. that's just rocking out. Wow. Um, we encourage you all to think about it. And this is the way that we do um, healing particularly around trauma. This is the way, this kind of intervention with skills and group-based, case management-based, the team is more than a resource. We are a family, right? Um, so we deal with it structurally, but we also deal with it socially and familiarly, the trauma um, and or through this thing called street pump.
0: Wow, wow. Well, you, you've, you uh, <laughs> oh boy, uh, you've certainly left me with a lot to think about, I gotta tell you, and, and I, I would, suspect that the folks who are both watching and listening, same thing, just some things to think about, because as I, you know, open this up, but while this conversation for me, I connect everything to safety, everything, everything. Uh, And, but what you described is the environment and, and safety is often is so there's safety, you know, the things that we do, and then there's safe, which is the adjective that we use to describe how we feel. And that ultimately, that's what safety is about, feeling safe. Safety that doesn't result in people being safe is nothing other than activity. It it has to result in in, in me feeling some kind of way. And because I am different from the person who established this system or initiated this thing, you have to ask me about that. I have to tell you, I I have to explain to you how it makes me feel. That's really the, the, the whole context of this discussion I'm having around this topic is that I don't think we've asked enough mm. and, and and have often when we've asked not accepted the answers that we receive from people yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that it is their reality whoever they are you know I, because I have one you can't tell me my yeah. reality I have one <laughs> you know and so you you have a right to have one as well and I, and, I, and I think if we're going to create environments where people do feel safe everybody's got to bring, I got to be able to bring my bag, my voice, my view, my, my and, and, and all this stuff is in it. And it, otherwise, what I think people should do is just be honest that you want to have a homogeneous group with just you and yours. And then just say that. That'd be okay. Then I can go buy elsewhere. I can, I can do business elsewhere because I, I want to interact with different kinds of people. If you don't, that's fine. But you should just say that. <laughs> Just, just kind of, yes. kind of come out with it. So again, that, that, Dr. Payne, thanks so much for, uh, for widening our horizons. And, and again, I, I, think it's again particularly important that we're having this conversation that will air during Black History Month. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's just spectacular. Again, so uh, I, I look forward to future conversations. Now I'm going to be following. I got to follow what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, but again, thanks very much. And, and, and to those of you who have you know, spent this, you know, uh, close to an hour with us. Uh, hopefully you've learned something. And, and please do reach out to Dr. Payne. You can reach out to me as well. I'm certainly active on, you know, I, on my website, uh, ID2 Solutions, id2-solutions.com. And, um, you know, w- let's, let's, let's keep this conversation going. As I said, again, in my opening, that in order for things, to, for an environment to be safe, it has to be safe for everybody. And 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 to understand who the everybody is, uh, we have to have conversations with that, that group. And so we've had a great conversation. Thanks very much. Thanks for you who've uh, listened in today. And that's that's it for this episode. And uh, we hope to, hopefully you'll join us next week on the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. You've been Thanks listening to the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast to stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.